everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of Life with Ed, the podcast. Um, Unlucky 13 proves exactly right for this uh, podcast. Um, My podcasting equipment got stolen, so that's why here we are three days late with brand new podcasting equipment. I'm not sure if it will make any difference. I bought the exact same materials, um, but it's new. So now from now on, we are on podcasting equipment number two. Uh, let's hope these last a little bit longer <laughs> than uh, 12 episodes. So anyway, it's uh, July 18th, so happy Thursday, not Monday. Um, and it it finally really feels like summer. This week has been incredibly hot. I don't have air conditioning and uh, currently I am surrounded by fans. So if you hear some whirring in the background, uh, that's what's going on. I'm attempting to not like sweat so much that it like drips into the microphone. Anyway, um, yeah, so thanks for, for coming back, joining me for unlucky episode 13. Um, I did have some luck today, though. It was a pretty big victory for me. I went to the doctors, and instead of saying no, I didn't want to get weighed, which is totally acceptable. You should always feel um, like you are able and welcome to say that. It's your choice. But I I really wanted to challenge myself to see, you know, how much power do I have versus um, Ed. So I said, yes, I'll, I'll get on the scale. I did ask the face backwards. I, I didn't want to look at the number yet, um, but I stood on the scale. I did get a little shaky maybe, but I stood there, let it happen. I didn't cry. Um, so for anyone out there who has avoided scales for years, you can do it. Uh, just one step at a time typically takes two <laughs> to get onto the scale, but many more to get to the point where you're ready um, to be on the scale. So I'm right there with you back to letting a doctor take my weight. So um, if you're there yet, if you're okay with that, um, maybe this is your little push to do that next time you're at the doctor. So today's news item actually came from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics daily uh, email. They send out an email of articles that I typically just sort of skim. Most of them don't really apply to eating disorders. There's rarely, if ever, a haze um, or intuitive eating article. But today there was one about um, adolescents who attempt weight loss. So it was published on MedPage today, and the link is in the description of the show. So check it out for yourself. Um, The article showed that 38% of adolescents have attempted weight loss or reported to have attempted weight loss in the NHANES data that is collected each year. That's a big increase from 2009. So in the last 10 years, adolescents who report having attempted weight loss has increased from 24% of adolescents to 38%, which I think is huge. Now we're up, you know, more than 10%. We're up 14%. So nearly 40% of teenagers are thinking about their body in a way that's negative. They're thinking, I need to change what I look like or I need to lose weight for another reason. And granted, maybe some of those individuals are making changes to to their health, whether it's eating or exercising more that they weren't doing before. And that's wonderful, but we can do that without focusing on weight. 
And the article pointed out that 16.5% of teens reported skipping meals purely for the goal of losing weight. Um, That is a huge no-no when it comes to pediatrics. You don't want them skipping meals. You don't want them, you know, like losing that much nutrition every day is important. Um, They're growing, they're changing, they, they need energy. And to say that 16.5% have skipped meals um, to try to lose weight is really, really sad. Um, It's showing that, you know, appearance versus health is the big indicator because no one would ever tell you that skipping a meal is healthy. Um, But some message has gotten to them that if they skip meals, they might look better. So, I think it's important to be aware that this is a growing concern, eating disorders and a weight focus, a negative body image is a huge issue. It's it's growing, especially amongst adolescents. So there's a little uh, fact for you all today. Um, and hopefully you can spread the word and get more people to be aware of it. I also have some other exciting news. So this podcast is not all unlucky. Um, Life with Ed, the podcast, is number nine, ranked number nine of eating disorder podcasts um, in all podcasts. I don't really know how many eating disorder podcasts are out there, but hey, we're on a chart now. Um, There was an article published with the top 15 eating disorder podcasts, and we're number nine. So that link is also in the show notes. Check it out. Please share this podcast. I want to move up um, maybe to number one, but (laughs) that might take some time, but at least above number nine. So please help me out. Share the podcast. Um, Tell your friends. Tell your family. Share it on social media. Let's get this word out there especially because we have some great things coming. We have some repeat guests coming on in the next few weeks and we're getting ready for a special Q&A episode. So we're going to have a Q&A episode. Um, anyone can submit questions. So all the questions are going to be guest submitted and I want um, as many as possible. We're going to have a couple different guests. We're going to have a doctor, a therapist, a dietitian, uh, maybe a coach. We'll see. We'll find other people, uh, maybe randos, who knows. Um, but please submit any questions you have if they're for a specific person. And next week I will get back to you on exactly who um, is going to be on the podcast for the Q&A episode. But as of right now, Lori, who was on the show two episodes ago, episode 11, will definitely be there. So if you have any questions for her or anyone else who's been a guest before or um, any other questions, eating disorder, nutrition, exercise, body image, haze, whatever, um, send me an email, worthyourwhile, W-E-R-T-H, yourwhilenutrition at gmail.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, wherever is most convenient. I am now worth your while on all platforms except for Twitter. So it should be easier to find me. And um, after all of that information, I just want to say this week, um, really, it's a special guest. Rachel Steele is coming on the show. She is an author, a runner, a coach of high school track and field athletes. She's pretty incredible. She came all the way from uh, Michigan to record this episode in New Haven in person, which was really fun. I love recording in person. I've only done one over the phone. And I think that's just because I don't, I don't know. I love being face to face with everyone. And I definitely will travel to guests, but having a guest travel to me was a great experience. Um, We met and recorded this episode in the New Haven Free Public Library. 
and uh, it was a little noisy so <laughs> we were in a silent study room but um there was someone like singing next door so you might get to hear some uh some nice singing in the background of this episode but um we did have a great time i have rarely met someone who related so much to me in terms of her experience with running and an eating disorder and loving to write uh, often those who are into nutrition and running do not you know, love to write, but Rachel um, is an author. So please check out her book, Running in Silence. She has a great website as well that started as a blog um, called Running in Silence. So you should all check it out, runninginsilence.com. And without further ado, here's Rachel Steele. All right. So I'm here with Rachel Steele today. Um, and she wrote Running in Silence, mm-hmm. right? Yep. In what year? Uh, 2000, well, I wrote it through college, 2014 to 15, mostly, and then okay. I had it published in 2016. Wow. Okay, yeah. so it's been like three years. Yeah, already. It's just bizarre how fast it goes by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So Running in Silence is about mm-hmm. running and eating disorders, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Okay, so perfect guest for my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about how you first came to realize that even you had an issue with food. Like, yes. Do you remember running and, and realizing that? Yeah, I would say it was such a gradual shift. I started having some, I hate to say normal body image issues in high school, but, but unfortunately yeah, it's like so common. It's really <laughs> frustrating to see that so much, but yeah, normal body issues through high school. And by the end of high school, like my senior year, I suddenly... I mean, there's a few comments made by my mom without like ill intention. Right. But I had asked her, like, am I gaining weight? Should I control my food better? And she said something along the lines of like, well, just eat two pieces of toast instead of five. Like, just control yourself (laughs) a little better. If you just want to fix this, it's easy. Yeah. Um, And I wasn't gaining a ton of weight, but I thought, okay, that's her hint that maybe I should watch my food a little more. So I started doing that and it became disordered definitely once I started counting calories. And and when was that? Middle of my senior year of high school. Okay. And once I initially lost a little bit of weight, I started running faster and I made that dangerous connection of controlling my food. And so it really like took off from there. And initially I actually wasn't performing very well for a while my senior year. Um, I had some really good races, some really bad ones. I think I wasn't feeling myself well enough. And then in college, I started doing very well and mm-hmm. still connected. And where did you run? Aquinas College. Right. Okay. Yep. It's in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Michigan yeah. through and through. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And I was looking at a few other schools. I was looking at like D1 and D2 colleges as well. Um, but the coach at Aquinas, so it's an NAIA school. Right. And it's very equivalent to like D2, D3. Right. And the coach at Aquinas Um, I really liked him because he focused on my character, who I was as a person, alongside with wanting to help me improve my running. Right. Which I think was so important for down the road once the eating disorder really took off. Yeah. Um, He was very supportive of my health and my recovery. And I was able to see, like, you can be, you can focus on being a good person and a good student and not just a good runner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important. So many people don't have that. Mm Mm-hmm. So you were running in high school. You started counting calories. Yes. And then when did you first get diagnosed with an eating disorder? Not until August 2000. 
12. Oh, so, wow. A few months before I started my website, Running in Silence. Um, I So I was struggling for a while, but I just thought that I had this obsession with food. And right. I thought because I didn't, what I perceived, like I thought you had to look a certain way to have an eating yeah. disorder. I thought it's I such had, a common thought. Yeah. Exactly. And I wasn't throwing out my food. So I thought, well, this isn't bulimia. I'm just constantly obsessed about food and thinking about it all the time. And this is just a weird thing I have to hide because everyone will think I'm crazy or gluttonous. Um, so what was your question again? So so you recognize you had these thoughts, but when did yeah. you first like really recognize that it was a problem? Yes. Okay. So I guess I was thinking it was kind of a problem, but not bad enough. Um, and then I started binge eating. Right. And that's a part of eating disorders we really don't often talk about. Yeah. More so now we are. But back in 2012, I just thought I was just out of control, didn't have enough discipline, right. no power. So I thought, okay, well, the best way to fix this is by myself and not tell anyone and just try to restrict again each day. Not, yeah. Well, in my head, I didn't say restrict. I was like, I got to control my food better and make up right. for what I just did. <laughs> so um, that was happening for a while. A lot of back and forth, restricting, binge eating. Excuse me. It's okay. I get that water. <laughs> I think it's important you brought up <coughs> that you were diagnosed with anorexia, correct? Yes. Yeah, but you also had um you also had binges, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's important we always think of them these like boxes, especially as dietitians. Uh, I know you're not a dietitian, but when in my training, we spend so much time like it's bulimia if you hit <coughs> check 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 you're fine (laughs) and like it's anorexia if this and it's binge eating if this and we never talked about them overlapping right but clearly they do right yes um excuse me i'm getting over cold (laughs) um yeah it was definitely overlapping and i just didn't think it happened that often and when it was doing it enough i decided to tell my mom right so you had binge eating, you had anorexia. Uh, you were in college and you got officially diagnosed? Yes. I told my mom and she suggested I see a therapist. Okay. And I refused the first time because I thought, again, it wasn't bad enough to get help. Right. So I waited eight months, tried all these different other diets, and they weren't working, of course. Mm-hmm. So I eventually went to see a therapist Um after going to a support group in August 2012, as I mentioned, and that's when it really clicked. Like, oh. This is a problem. Yeah. And I just, it was so interesting talking to other people in the group, <clears throat> excuse me, and their thoughts were so similar to my own. And yeah, that's when things started to click a lot more. And were you able to tell people or was it really hard? To it tell was people? really hard. I was so scared about what people would think. Like, oh, she's an average weight. She doesn't really have an eating disorder. Yeah. And... Yeah, I was very scared of the judgment. I was scared people didn't understand binge eating was a problem. Right. Um, or an issue. Or that I was like making it all up. And that's why when I started running in silence.com, I was terrified, you know, coming out in that way people would think, Oh, she's just trying to get attention or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad you you said it was hard. For you to yes. share it. because now this is what you do right you share right. your story all the time yeah and so do i this is also a big part of my job but uh for years it's 
it was like, if I tell them, like, will they not like me? Or like, will they think I'm lying? Or this is like too personal and like mm-hmm. it means I'm a bad person. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't understand those of us who are advocates advocates i'm struggling too now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, our voices are just going out. <laughs> uh, uh like it wasn't easy from the start yes yeah and i forget that like when i do these talks once in a while for running in silence you know i see people tearing up and it brings back memories like oh like they might be going through this right now or have been and it's hard to talk about it the first time around yeah it, it just brings back the memories of how difficult that actually was being so far removed um yeah i just talk about it so openly now and i hear other people right going through it so much that i'm like oh well yeah this does That's happen normal mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah. it's really hard the first time yes and so can you talk a little bit about how that changed how you got more comfortable or was there anything that really helped you get more comfortable going to therapy mm-hmm. seeing a dietitian <laughs> understanding my body better following social media accounts that talked about it more openly I actually started following Tabitha Farrar okay um she's like an eating disorder coach okay um and she's just really blunt she talks about um rewiring the brain (laughs) um and I just I learned a lot from her I have to credit her she's amazing yeah Um, no that's great and then just talking and writing more in general was very helpful and so you had a blog right first mm-hmm. and then you decided to write a book. Yes. I've always wanted to be an author. Like yeah. that was initially the big thing that I wanted to do. And I was an English major in school. I just didn't know it was going to end up being a book about running and an eating disorder. I thought yeah. it would be a running book. Um, so that was a surprise. But I also found that by writing my truth and being really open about these things I didn't initially want to talk about the writing was better. Mm-hmm. So a lot to learn with writing. It's still yeah. a growing process, but I do feel like um, that was one of my better pieces. Because it was true and it was yes. something you had lived. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think for so long, like even some previous running stories I'd written through elementary school were like these light, fluffy, right. oh, running is so beautiful. <laughs> and they were good, but yeah. they weren't interesting, which is right. kind of weird. Like the dark, gritty stuff is just so fascinating and it helps us to be able to connect with each other. And I like being able to share those emotions with people, especially those who haven't gone through eating disorders. I think that was eye opening for my dad to read the book because he still doesn't get it all. But he shared that emotional experience through reading it. And I think that's what I love about writing. I'm so glad you brought up your dad because a big question that I have um, as someone who also has like opened their life up uh, to thousands of people I don't know, um, it's often still the hardest to talk about it with people I know the best, like my dad, right? Or my parents. And um, do you have that experience as well? Or do you have any tips for people like, even if it's easy for them to share it with friends, how do you share it with your family? Yes, that was so difficult. My parents did not get it at all. Even the first time around that I told my mom, I described this in the book too. She was just like, oh, well, just control your food better. And it'll be, you know, because I was binge eating and gaining weight. And I basically told her, I'm terrified. I can't stop eating so much. I want to lose weight again because I thought that's what would help me to run faster. Right. And she thought, 
well, calories in, calories out. It's as easy as that. Yeah. And she didn't understand the depth of it. And I was trying to explain to her, like, every time I restrict, you know, trying to lose weight, as you say, you should, in quotes, um, it's not working. It's making everything worse. But like I said, the best thing she did was suggest I go to therapy. And that was so helpful. She didn't have to understand it. Mm -hmm. But she realized she was there to support and you need to listen help. to me. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted a listening ear and yeah. just understand I just need help and support. Um, so she got me the help and I was really blessed to be able to see a therapist. I know not everyone has those kind of resources. Right. Um, but just <clears throat> even if you're in school, um, usually they have counselors on campus. They do. Yeah. Most yeah, schools. Yeah. Just see someone. Just if there's someone who's a professional that you can vent out your frustrations or any issues you're going through um as long as you feel comfortable with that person you're seeing um continue to go to them or find someone else that might work by better with you right um and one thing my dad did really well is understand that the professionals were there to help he was trying to listen and understand um but he was also one of those that just wanted to lend the support and realize right. that's all he needed to do yeah so you mentioned earlier like you didn't think you were bad enough to have or like like thin enough or that your eating disorder was bad enough to get help um is that uh something that you notice in lots of runners that yes. they think that yes i get so many emails from people saying like this isn't bad enough i'm too scared to tell some anyone like i'm scared they won't believe me that one breaks my heart um i'm scared that they'll be mad at me yeah, it's I think we're breaking that stigma more and more now um, that eating disorders don't come at a certain size. But anyone who's not immersed in the eating disorder world, they don't see no it idea. every day. No. Yeah. Well, one comment I get, too, is when I talk to people about what I do, like I raise awareness for eating disorders in sports. And then yeah. they say, oh, I have an eating disorder. I eat too much. And I'm like, Dude, yeah, that's, uh, <sighs> it's so frustrating. It's like you think I haven't heard that joke. Right. Um. And again, it's just ignorance, and that's why we're doing what we're doing, right? Um, to break those misconceptions, but it it's frustrating. Yeah, that's a really good point because I actually have this like journal that I write down like all of the things I overhear that people just happen to say, and you're like, "Wow, that was really inconsiderate," but yeah. they don't know, right? Right. And like, so our job is not to get mad at them, but to be like, "Hey, I've had an eating disorder." This is what it's actually like. Yes. And um, that's why talking to coaches is so helpful. I'm a coach myself. Right. And I'm of a high school team. Yes. High school, cross country and track. Um, and it's nice to be able to connect with the other coaches because I understand we have a lot on our plate. Right. And we do it out of love and passion. And now there's this whole other element with eating disorders, which are so prevalent. We don't have any trainings. Like, of course, they're in the dark about this. And yeah. usually only the coaches that have been through something like this actually understand um, what or what not to say to their athletes. So mm -hmm. I'm not mad at coaches that maybe say something to their athletes. I know it's mostly out of ignorance. We don't have the training. We don't have the education. We have the stuff out there, but it's not readily available for coaches. Yeah. Well, and it's like their job, right, is to get the girls to run as fast as possible or the yes. boys. And it's hard to remember, you know, they're emotionally in a very vulnerable state and you're kind of their idol. Yes. So if you're their coach and you're saying, you know, if you lose weight, you'll be faster or like the thinnest girls are doing the best out there. Like those can be really harmful statements. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've seen many more organizations come up 
talking about those issues as well. So again, I think the resources are out there, but we have to make coaches aware of it. Yeah. And get it right. Kind of like bring it to them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we have concussion trainings that yeah. are high schools. There's no training on eating disorders. There's one I know for sure in Michigan they're coming out with a mental health training. Oh, wow. I think That's it's going to be mandatory. I don't know enough about it. I just did a blog post with the people who are like pushing it. Um, but that's all I know at this point. Okay, we're still yeah. Working on it. I mean, the concussions, it took a long time to get in. So maybe we're starting that for eating disorders and mental health and sport. Yes. Yeah. So what's the hardest part of talking about your disorder and eating disorders in general and trying to communicate what needs to change to people? Um, I think actually reaching coaches, not it's kind of hard to get into a lot of coaching conferences. I'd like to speak at every single one in every state in the yeah. U.S. at least. And it's just not, it's not a topic that's quite all there yet. Right. And that's why I understand, you know, the running in silence nonprofit is so important, but it's about squeezing into these places to speak about it now. Because I think we have, especially our younger population very aware and like ready to break diet culture and yeah. work on health at every size. I see so much of that happening at least on social media. Um, but coaches aren't as aware of that and the directors of these coaching conferences don't know anything about it. And yeah. I think they, some of them just again, naively or ignorantly in the most kindest way you can say that, um, <laughs> just don't realize how prevalent it really is. Yeah. I'm the one receiving all these emails and messages or anyone running an organization like this. So of course I'm desperate to get, you know, someone talking about it right? Um, more often. And these directors don't get it and um, don't get those kind of messages or coaches may not because I get athletes coming to me saying I'm too scared to tell my coach. Um, yeah. So it's happening a lot more. And I think it's about raising awareness, showing how much this does happen and why it's so needed. We have to talk about it. We have to help our coaches and athletic community navigate it. Do you have like a way you start talking to coaches? that helps them understand or breaks the ice a little? I think, well, social media has been such a great tool. I post, I've been teaming up with Dr. Quattromoni. She's like the e leading eating disorders disorders in sports expert. Oh, um, wow. She's amazing, like just so helpful. Every time I have a question, I send it off to her and she usually comes up with a great elaborate answer, which is really helpful and detailed. So we usually put together a blog post and I started sharing those, like tagging coaches in it, right. organizations um, with coaches so that they can share that. And I think that's the start. And then it's like, well, let's talk about these in our conferences and yeah. get trainings in place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I just find it's interesting because at the same time that there's a huge increase in money and effort being put into the, the quote unquote war on obesity, right? There's also all of us starting to be like, hey, like, we need to talk about eating disorders and mm -hmm. people who aren't eating enough and how a lot of people who are in that obese category aren't eating enough either. Yes. Um, exactly. And I, yeah. And with sports, I think it's such a big problem because people push those who, you know, may appear to be overweight or be eating too much into sports. They're like, Oh, this will fix it. Right. And then you end up with, you know, hating your body or, mm -hmm. or what, I don't know what you see, if you see any of that. Um, going on yes I don't know I 
no bits and pieces of health at every size. Yeah. I'm not well-versed on it yet. I believe in the cause, and I believe, um, you know, I'm trying to even update my language use and right. be more politically correct with all of that. Um, I don't see it as much in the athletic world yet. I think we're working on, on it. Um, yeah, I'm not as well-versed in yeah. that area, but I... I think it's yeah. hard. I think it's hard because you see professional athletes all looking a certain way. Yeah. And it's hard to be like, well, can anyone be healthy then? Or mm-hmm. uh, doesn't matter what their size is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely yeah. something to think about. Yes. So you are a coach. Yes. So how do you talk to your girls yeah well that's a big question I had my first year I've been assistant coach for four years and then head coach this is my second year um so I've talked with the other coach that was coaching um when I was assistant about how to talk about this a little bit yeah um and obviously I'd had experience as an athlete and now switching into the coaching role was like oh this is different like <laughs> yeah, it is a different everything position. I matters like <laughs> everything I say matters yes because I remember so much of what my own coaches said and that kind of terrified me. <laughs> um, but I knew that if I was preaching this idea that coaches should be talking about it or at least be open to having those conversations, right. I should be able to do it myself and put some of those things into practice. So past few years we've been talking about body image a little bit at camp. I don't make it like this huge deep discussion, yeah. but I at least make them aware that we're aware eating disorders happen or disordered eating. We don't have to use the full term eating disorder. I think that scares people off sometimes. Um, But just mention like, you know, especially girls going through puberty a lot in high school. I've seen a pattern. A lot of girls plateau often their sophomore and junior years. And we talk about it as this is sometimes a normal and it's a healthy thing. Um, it doesn't mean everyone plateaus, but it's okay. Like that's, we're working with our bodies instead of against them. We're not stopping this from happen happening. Obviously Olympian women runners are women. They're not little girls. Right. So it's about growing into that body and using it and embracing it. And we work with a strength trainer. Um, I think having that strength component is really helpful and boosts, um, their self-esteem, just in ways that they can see they can be so strong, not just so fast, and yeah. be good athletes overall, not just good runners. Um, and in the end, I think it just it helps set them up for a life of running rather than four years or eight years if they're going to run in college. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I did track, right, in high school, and I did club in college, and I noticed you know, there's people who of all shapes and sizes, right? Yep. Especially in high school, because it's the one sport, at least in my high school, that didn't cut. Yeah. So you get everybody. Yes. And how do you how do you make sure that people who aren't like the star of the team or winning all the time, like feel like they are doing well and that they are capable? And even if they're not the best, that doesn't mean their body isn't good. That's such a good question, um, because we try to focus as coaches on what the athletes are doing beyond the sport. I think we try our best to ask them questions about, you know, what's happening outside their lives, which goes along too with um, sort of seeing if they're in a mentally healthy place too. Right. But, and saying that everyone, every single person on that team matters. Because if we only had a group of fast girls 
like super fast girls um running and just competing very well but if they were so nervous and we didn't have that girl on the team that sings all the time and yeah. gets people pumped up before races, they wouldn't be having fun. Maybe they wouldn't even be performing as well. Right. And maybe we need those runners who are, you know, doing all the right training to be inspirations for those runners that maybe aren't as fast. You know, everyone can give back in a different way. And we try to emphasize that throughout the whole season. And what's so cool about running is that you're kind of, competing against yourself too um but it's also such a fun team sport it's just so cool how all those different elements are there Mm -hmm. and uh, it's just even looking back on the past few years of cross country i can think of so many different girls that contributed in such beautiful ways i don't remember just the fastest girls yeah um yeah oh my gosh it just makes me smile to think (laughs) of like the fun quirky personalities that I don't know what we would have done without right yeah and I think about that with road races right like you go to watch Mm -hmm. a marathon and you see thousands of people of every age and shape and size and ability and like they all just ran a marathon so they're all like very you know in shape if that's the word you want to use no matter what shape they are yeah Um, and I think that's something that isn't talked about enough like I'm never going to be the best runner, right? Like I am who I am. I'm never going to be the best runner and other people are not going to be as strong or as whatever or as smart. Um, But you're good at something and you can still have a healthy in shape, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I can tell you like, it's so exciting to see someone who maybe is the last place finisher or not, not the fastest on the team get a PR. Like, that is just as exciting yeah. if not more than our fastest right. or whoever it is, depending on the year, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's so cool that there can be success in so many different ways. And obviously like at the Olympic level, people are looking at the first place runner and all that. And there's some stories on the middle of the pack runner sometimes. Yeah. Have if like they're a really like cool background. Uh, yeah. They're yeah. very special. <laughs> yeah. And I understand the lure of the, fastest runners and everything too but at least we have that opportunity in high school to be able to boost everyone up on the team yeah really like learn more of their stories as coaches awesome Mm -hmm. so kind of switching gears I have a question this is something I think about all the time so you're you know out in the public eye right everyone knows you had an eating disorder people talk all the time about how eating disorders like are not one-stop fix like you can't just you know say i'm recovered check and like it never comes back they they come back right um people relapse all the time they struggle all the time how do you deal with that when you're supposed to be to other people like this recovered you know runner eating disorder um survivor yeah it's weird because even like in the acknowledgments in my the running in silence book i say like the last half of this book wouldn't have maybe wouldn't have happened without knowing there's people following me waiting for me to recover. (laughs) Um, so the blog prompted my recovery a little bit. Um, obviously it wasn't the only thing, right? But I guess somewhat being in the public eye like that prompted it. But I also use so many of the tools that like my therapist gave me and being able and to speak. So running in silence, 
I feel like that is so pivotal to the whole recovery process because ever since I've been able to speak about that, I've been so much more open about everything else in my life. Right. I finally developed such a good relationship with my parents. I still get annoyed with them, but it's just, <laughs> I feel like I'm so much more myself ever since coming out about the eating disorder. So it was so much more than overcoming these situations with food. It was becoming who I really was all along that I kept hiding behind the perfectionism and um, wanting to please other people or have a certain persona. I don't know. Yeah. I just became so much more myself. And I think because I've seen the benefits of doing that, it's hard to ever go back. Yeah. And I, I can pretty much say like I'm recovered. That's awesome. The period. As, yeah. Um, trying to think who used that term um recovered with a period <laughs> because i obviously things are going there's going to be stressors in life and i still yeah. have anxiety i think that's a root of the eating disorder right um i still have perfectionist tendencies so those things are all there but i definitely learned so much about my body and about eating that I couldn't really ever go back to those patterns because I know they don't work. Yeah. Um, you can like logic your way out. Yeah. You're like, wait, so Knowledge I tried is this. power. Yeah. yeah. And it's not the same for everyone. I know not everyone's recovery stories are the same and other people have dealt with trauma. I grew up in a really healthy household for the most part. I've been very blessed. I understand my privileges. Um, and I mean, I'm a thin white woman. Like I have a lot going for me. So my recovery might have been easier than other people's. And I just, I guess I want to acknowledge that yeah. too, but recovery is possible. Like it's so, cause I remember in the depth of my depths of my recovery or eating disorder, I literally thought how in the world am I going to have to keep living like this? I yeah. thought there was no way out. I thought I'd be the only one who wouldn't recover. I thought I had to keep battling against food and against my body because I saw these other recovery counts like, Oh, I've, just I binged again today I've been binge free for like three months and um I have to just keep fighting against food every day I'm like I don't know if that's really recovery if you're constantly still yeah. thinking about food and trying to fight off not eating too much you know like I just don't think about food or obsess about food at all anymore right and I feel like it's because I am giving myself enough and letting myself have whatever I want yeah yeah, that yeah. was awesome to hear because yeah. it's just like you can you can recover. Yeah. And even if you think about it again, when you kind of have accountability from the fact that all these people are counting on you yeah. and also the fact that you've learned how to how to take care of yourself and what works and what doesn't, you don't have to fall back in. And if you do, it's like one day, right? Yes. It's like one hour yeah. instead of you know, weeks and months or whatever. Yeah. Like I remember the calories of foods. I don't think that's ever going to go away. It's lessened. Like I don't ever count calories anymore, yeah. but I know like what's, you I know, know, how many calories <laughs> in that or whatever, but it doesn't matter to me anymore. So that's why I don't count them. My dietitian, thank you for being a dietitian, by the way, was like <laughs> my saving grace. I adored her. She oh, was an good. eating disorder sports dietitian. She was a huge part of the recovery. And like I said, knowledge is power. Understanding why I was thinking about food, mental hunger. I was hungry. Like I did need to eat. And just yeah. trusting my body more with working with her 
was so helpful. That's good to hear because yeah. I hear a lot of people saying the dietitian was not on board or like yeah. not helpful, and that oh. always breaks my heart because I'm like, come on, dietitians, yeah. like don't give us a bad name. Well, I think more getting on board with the health at every size and everything yeah. too, and like I said, learning more about that myself is just so helpful to see where we're continuing to move forward right especially with the little research we have on eating disorders yeah. i think it is improving at last yeah finally yeah so if you have one you know thing you would say to someone who's kind of they're a runner they're just like you were they're mm-hmm. back in that state where they're like to get thinner it's all i need to do to get better what would you say um i would say you're not alone in thinking that because i remember I thought I was the only person struggling with those thoughts and that there's so much more that you can do that's actually healthy for your body. That's actually going to help you perform better, especially in the long term. Um, Everything that came after, you know, losing weight. Yes, I initially ran faster, but losing weight wasn't the only thing that made me a fast runner. Um, And it obviously didn't work like I the binge eating I developed and the eating disorder and the eating disorder thoughts and the relationships I lost um and the therapy the years of therapy and working with the dietitian I that wasn't worth it like yeah. it just all you ever think about is running and food and that's not you can't get anything done no I, I think about that all the time <laughs> oh my gosh all the relationships I've developed now are just so is I'm so much happier now than I was even when I ran my best race. Oh yeah. And I didn't know that existed, like that kind of happiness yeah. outside of running. Um, so I think if you're really struggling with food and wanting just to run faster and you think that's the only thing that's gonna make you really happy and fulfilled, there's there are deeper issues at work. And mm-hmm. I recommend seeing a therapist, opening up to a family or friend, um, and just if they don't respond well the first time, find someone else and just yeah. ask for their support. They don't have to fix you. Yeah. Um, I just think that's really important. Just remember you're, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. You're important enough to be heard. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So my last question I ask everyone is just what's your favorite food? Because we always talk about all these foods that stress us out. Yeah. And I hate thinking about like trigger foods when I work with patients yeah. and all of that. But what's your favorite one? Oh, that's so tough. It just depends on the <laughs> cravings or like what sounds really good. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind though that I, the thing I crave a lot is, um, Pasta and marinara sauce. Oh, okay. Oh, and eggs. Okay, so I do this weird <laughs> combination. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so okay. kinda. Okay, I do this weird ca- combination of um, quinoa, scrambled eggs, and marinara sauce. Oh, wow. It it's like almost like Tex-Mex. Yeah. It's really good. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think that's my favorite food right now. I have it every morning. Wow. It's so good. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I love marinara sauce. Definitely a new one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we haven't had that yes. yet. It's good. Try it. I had someone else try it. And she actually loved they it. They liked so. it? Mm-hmm. Do you just eat it with a fork or like on bread or anything? Fork. Yeah. Okay. Just cook up some quinoa, add some scrambled eggs on it, <laughs> pour a little marinara sauce. Okay. Yeah. Sounds it's so good. good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you.